Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones and this is episode 28. In today's episode, I'm going to discuss the controversy around an article I wrote. 4,157 dogs reported dead from Rimadale. And then the commenters who called this absolutely ridiculous. Talk to you about the two serious dog attacks that happened in my home province, British Columbia. And then conclude with some new research showing the medicinal antibacterial effects of honey. Now Battery Secrets is on iTunes. You can go to iTunes and search for Veterinary Secrets. We're also on Stitcher. You can download the Stitcher app and search for Veterinary Secrets. Definitely, I would appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can do so on iTunes or Stitcher. Let's get right into today's podcast. Um, a few years ago, I published an article on my blog. It was called 4,157 Dogs Reported Dead from Rimadale. Um, and after this podcast, you can go, and I'll send a link. It'll be on my blog under the podcast, but it's at the internetpetvet.com, and you can then search, you know, dogs dead from Rimadale. But in the last week, this article has been shared thousands of times. It's generated some interesting comments. There's a couple here I want to highlight. One is from Jason, who says it was absolutely ridiculous. These numbers are over a period of 27 years. They include other drugs because Rimadol only came out in 1997. He says there's 4,127 deaths over that time period. Divide that by the millions of dogs who have taken the drug, and their percentage would be so minute it would go completely unnoticed. Hmm. He says that 16,500 people die every year from the same type of drugs. Considering that about 30 million dogs have taken Rimadol since it came out, you're looking at a death rate of only 0.08% annually. So this so-called study is simply here to sell you something else. Never take these internet studies at face value simply because they have a doctor's name at the top of the page. Do a little research first and check the sources. And then another commenter who chimed in right after Jason, Laura says, well said, Jason. I noticed the same thing. Also that the article title lists 4,157 deaths. And the chart in the article says 2,332 deaths. Hmm. This data is pretty useless given all the missing information. It's just a bunch of random numbers. I do think it's important to stress to animal owners all the potential side effects of a medicine so the owner can be appropriately aware not to miss important signs of distress. But my goodness, let's do some proper respectable signs in these articles, please. Um, well, first of all, this article comes directly from the FDA's Adverse Drug Experience Reports, in which veterinarians and pet owners could report on adverse drug reactions. I looked at all the NSAIDs, that's non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, but in particular, the drug Rimadyl, it's, also, it's called Carperfin, is the actual drug name, as I personally saw more reactions to it in veterinary practice. So then the data, which I'm going to give you a link after today's podcast, um, ended in 2013. So the math showing on this report showed that there was reported as 2,332 dogs reported dead. Um, and then lower in the section of the report, they listed another 1,825 reported dead from euthanasia. Adding those two together came up with the number 4,157. In the article, I gave a couple of rather succinct suggestions. One, that this NSAID, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, has numerous reported and underreported side effects, from permanent organ damage to even death. And I suggested that it is in your pet's best interest to avoid this medication and similar medications if possible. Then I went on to comment on, you know, add on to these common commenters. 
First of all, I'm saying that I welcome thoughtful commentary, but I find it somewhat suspect that both of these have posted at the end of their article, clearly attempting to discredit the information. First of all, you know, this information comes from the FDA, and I'm putting up a link. It'll be on the blog after the podcast. Second, there are hundreds of reported additional side effects to Rimadel, and I'll give you another link, and literally there are hundreds reported on the FDA site. Third, in commenting, I really think it's important that commenters take the time to read read the article and then clearly do the math. You know, one is Jason said, absolutely ridiculous. These numbers are over 27 years. And they include other drugs because Rimadol just only came out in 1997. Then Laura um, said, you know, well said Jason, the article listing 4,157 deaths and the charts is only 2,332. So first of all, the actual number is 4,157. The drug in question is called Carprofen, the actual veterinary drug name, which is sold by Pfizer under the brand name Rimadol. And the generic version has only recently become available. So primarily, a majority of those adverse effects are attributed to Rimadol. Um, I would assume that the commenters put faith in the FDA, that they, yet it appears they would have you discredit that information. And then again, in researching this story in Rimadol, uh, there's even more information. It comes up on a reference on Wikipedia. After introduction of Rimadol, significant anecdotal reports of sudden animal deaths from it arose. To date, the FDA, the FDA has received more than 6,000 adverse reaction reports about the drug manufactured by Pfizer. As a result, the FDA requested that Pfizer advise consumers in their advertising that death is a possible side effect. Pfizer refused and pulled their advertising. However, now they include death as a possible, possible side effect on the drug label. Plans for a call for a dear doctor letter to advise veterinarians and a safety sheet attached to pill packages. And that source comes from Wikipedia, and you can just search Wikipedia and and the drug Rimadol or Carprofen. So what should you, you know, as a concerned pet owner, take from all this? First, that if you take a stand on something, the hater is going to come out, and also obviously fodder for a Taylor Swift song. And that you should be very cautious when giving your drug any type of anti-inflammatory drug, but especially Rimadol. And here are some serious warning signs that you should watch for. Vomiting, bloody vomiting, diarrhea, black tarry stool, inappetence, lethargy, inappropriate urination or thirst, and drinking more, drinking less, peeing more, peeing less, general malaise, abdominal pain, seizures. Ask any questions about any medication subscribed to your pets, especially anything that is potentially toxic or anything to be given long term. Be open to alternative options, especially those that have far fewer or no incidence of side effects. And use some form of supplement for arthritic pain and inflammation. In my, in my opinion, the most important ones are glucosamine, chondroitin, MSM, and essential fatty acids. You know, did I use NSAIDs, that's non steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs in practice? Yes. And they clearly have a place in pain management and veterinary medicine. But they're also a huge source of revenue, primarily for the drug companies, who would rather have you overlook some of the more common and serious side effects. They need to be used with caution, and in my opinion, there are fewer side effects with some of the other NSAIDs, as opposed to Rimadol. You should get your dog on some type of antiarthritic supplement, ensure that it contains at least glucosamine at 100 mg per 10 pounds daily, and chondroitin at 50 mg per 10 pounds daily. My supplement, Ultimate Canine Health Formula, has been helping thousands of dogs with arthritis. It contains high levels of glucosamine, chondroitin, MSM, and essential fatty acids. 
Um, you can see my supplement by going to www.thedogsupplement.com. Let's get into the second part of today's podcast, and it's another more serious story. And, and in and I'm talking about two serious dog dog attacks that happened in my home province, British Columbia. You know, they've been very prominent in the news. Especially shocking was how vicious the attacks were and the seriousness of the injuries. First was a BC man who was fighting for his life in Edmonton Hospital after a vicious dog attack. As a 55-year-old Fort St. John man was remaining in an Edmonton hospital as doctors were fighting to save his life and what remains of both arms following a dog attack on Christmas Day. Fort St. John RCMP said they were called to a trailer home in northeastern BC by a frantic 51-year-old woman who reported two dogs had entered the home killed her cat and were mauling her and her partner. Inside, the officers found a woman suffering from dog bites and a man sitting unresponsive in a chair, appearing to be in shock while being attacked by the dogs. Um, The RCMP commented, said, so at that time, you know, the officers tried everything they could to distract the dogs, to draw their attention away, but they still kept attacking this man. At that point, they felt they had no other alternative but to use lethal force. An officer shot one dog, but the other managed to escape with serious injuries. It was later tracked down and mainly put down. Officers said they had a good idea who owned the animals, but are still trying to figure out why the dogs were loose and what led to the vicious attack. The next one is a similar, more serious dog, dog attack injury. Three people have been injured, one critically in a vicious dog attack. That was Wednesday, so around the same time in Richmond, British Columbia. Police said one of the injured, the woman in critical condition, was bitten over 100 times by a Rottweiler crossbreed. Police were called to 9200 Block of Williams Road just after 1 p.m. after a report that a woman was being mauled by a dog and needed police help. When the officers arrived, <clears throat> they found the woman on the ground covered in blood and trying to fend off the 35-kilo dog. One of the officers attempted to distract the dog with the other officer who tried to extracting the wound victim. The dog was momentarily distracted and returned to re-attack the victim and one of our officers. The officer fired a pistol at the dog and it fled. The 21-year-old woman was taken to hospital with extensive injury. She suffered over 100 bites to her body, a fractured arm, a detached biceps. She is currently undergoing surgery and listed in critical condition. In the story, they're saying that it was a miracle that her officer was one harmed. Two others were also attacked. An animal behaviorist said this was one very extreme attack. 100 bites in a single victim is among the worst attacks I've heard of. According to Richmond legislation, any dog that has injured a person is classified as a dangerous dog. Animal control officers can propose to euthanize a dog and can do it quickly if the owner agrees. If the owner disagrees, the animal control must seek an order from the provincial court. Sometimes dangerous dog can be rehabilitated with training, said Dr. Rebecca Ledger. But this attack was so terrifying, it's unlikely that this dog will survive, she said. This is such an aggressive attack, it wouldn't be safe to reha- rehabilitate the dog at this point, she said. Um, so after these, there's a couple of comments I've added on to this story. First, these are shocking, horrible events, so hard to believe this can happen. <laughs> the Richmond dog attack victims, 21, 21-year-old twin sisters, Katie and Jesse Mather, are recovering now at home. The one girl was bitten over 100 times. There has been discussion about the Richmond sisters as they are also known as the Twins That Toke. An Instagram account called Twins That Toke T-H-E shows these sisters drinking, smoking marijuana, and partying. One person moving out of Katie Mather's Richmond home told CTV News on Saturday 
the drug use was continuing. He didn't want to go on camera, but he said the twins would get high on downers and yell at the dog and threaten him. Could they have played a role in altering the dog's behavior leading to the attack? Yes. <clears throat> then, of course, there, there are the inevitable calls for breed bans. The dogs in question, the first two dogs that, that attacked the couple in Fort St. John were pit bulls, and this other dog was a Roddy Cross. They are the most common breeds responsible for, for serious dog bite injuries and deaths. In discussing this with a colleague, I noted how often the pitties were some of my best patients, as were many of the Roddies. Clearly, the environment your dog is raised in has a huge effect. You know, my Personally, my worst dog bite came from a chihuahua hanging off my chin. But unfortunately, not all dogs are raised in the ideal environment, and not all dog owners are responsible. Some people should not own pets, you know, or raise kids for that matter. You know, I agree with the behaviorist with such aggressive attacks. It's not safe or ethical to rehabilitate such a dog. Shocking reminder that dogs evolve from wolves, and if dogs bred for strength are not raised by responsible people, things can go horribly wrong. But to put it all in perspective, there are 80 million dogs in Canada and the United States with relatively few serious dog bite injuries. You are so much more likely to injure yourself by falling in the bathroom. And please feel free to share your thoughts on the matter. You can post after the blog, <coughs> or you can send me an email at podcast.vendorandsecrets.com. The last section of today's podcast is partly inspired um, by my own personal experience and then just reading more information on it, all about the antimicrobial properties of honey. Um, it can do a whole number of wonderful different things. It, clearly, it's such an overlooked natural remedy, and we're just finding more and more things about it. But in particular, we're dealing with the whole incidence of antibiotic resistance and what else can we use. So honey is just becoming more and more key in this role. In addition to the important role of natural honey in traditional medicine, during the past few decades, it's been subjected to laboratory and clinical investigations. Antibacterial activity of honey is one of the most important findings that was first recognized in 1892. It's reported to have an inhibitory effect around 60 species of bacteria. Pathogens found to be sensitive to antibacterial effects of honey are just numerous. <clears throat> Here's some of the one. The bacteria will cause anthrax, Bencillus anthracus. Haemophilus influenza, Klebsiella causes serious pneumonia. The bacteria that causes TB, Mycobacterium tuberculosis, Pastorella multocida, serious bacteria you can get from bite wounds. Some of the bacteria that cause dysentery, Shigella. The skin bacteria, Staph, Strep. Some of the surface other skin bacteria, the other strep bacteria, strep faecalis. The bacteria can cause cholera, vibrio cholera. Previously, there's been a small number of case studies examining the antimicrobial activity of honey against MRSA, that methicillin-resistant staph. Um, these are organisms demonstrated that natural honey has an antimicrobial activity against the community-associated MRSA organisms in vitro. Um, the big point of this is that these are bacteria that are resistant to virtually any antibiotics we have. Huge hospital problem bacteria. Yet, you know, the one thing we have that can potentially treat those is honey. It's been indicated um, a couple other things here. And it's shown that and the, and the honey had sufficient antibacterial potency to still be able to stop bacterial growth if diluted at least nine times and up to 56 times for Staph aureus, the most common wound pathogen. It's been indicated that diluted honey treated urinary tract infections because certain bacteria causing urinary tract infections, such as E. coli, Proteus, and Staphylococcus, were found to be sensitive to the antibacterial of honey. In vitro studies of H. pylori, that Helicobacter pylori, so that's a real common bacteria in, in our stomach, 
which can cause gastritis, has been shown to be inhibited by 20% solution of honey. Even isolates that exhibited are resistant to other antimicrobial agents were susceptible. And like most conventional antibiotics, it has been reported that honey does not lead to development of antibiotic-resistant bacteria that can be used continuously. Honey acts, can act as both a bacteriostatic and bacteriostatal. Normally, it's going to limit the number of bacteria and actually kill the bacteria, depending on the concentration used. Um, pasture honey, 4 to 8%, and 5 to 11% manuka honey, where bacteriostatic or bacteriocidal activity was achieved at a 5 to 10% and 8 to 15% concentrations, respectively. In, in contrast, artificial honey, which is a sugar, sugar solution which mimics honey, um, was only again, was only bacteriostatic in terms of limiting bacterial growth at 20 to 30 percent, and not bacteriocidal. It wouldn't kill the bacteria. So, what are the possible mechanisms? Um, why is it antimicrobial? There's actually four different parts. It's quite interesting. Um, so, the mechanisms of antimicrobial activity of honey are different from antibiotics, which destroy. So, antibiotics work by destroying the bacteria's cell wall, or inhibiting um, intracellular metabolic pathways. So the antibacterial activity is related to four properties of honey. First, honey draws moisture out of the environment and thus dehydrates the bacteria. The sugar content of honey is also high enough to hinder the growth of microbes, but the sugar content alone is not the sole reason for honey's antibacterial properties. Second, the pH of honey is very low. It's between 3.2 and 4.5, and this acidity is low enough to inhibit the growth of most microorganisms. Hydrogen peroxide, produced by the enzyme glucose oxidase, is the third and probably the most important anti antibacterial component. Although some authors believe the non-peroxide activity be to be more important. And then lastly, there are several plant chemicals or phytochemical factors for antibacterial activity that have been identified in honey. So what are these? So hydrogen peroxide, glucose oxidase, catalase, phytochemical factors have been described as non-peroxide antibacterial factors. In addition, there's volatiles, organic acids, lysozyme, beeswax, nectar, pollen, and propolis are important chemical factors that provide antibacterial properties to honey. Honey also contains oligosaccharides in small quantities, and related sugar composition of honey from different flora species to the growth inhibition of various intestinal bacteria. Moreover, it is reported that a part of the antibacterial activity may be, might be attributed to the components of the plant origin. So all of these physical and chemical factors give honey unique properties as a wound dressing. It has a rapid clearance of infections. It helps to speed up rapid debridement of the wounds, rapid suppression of inflammation, minimization of scarring, and stimulation of angiogenesis, that's new blood cell growth, as well as tissue granulation, epithelium growth. Huge, huge benefits. Wow. Well, thank you for listening to today's podcast. I'm Dr. Andrew Jones. Um, if you have any, a couple different things, if you'd like to comment on today's podcast, I'd love to hear what you have to say. You can post after, post a comment on the blog after the podcast. It's at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog. You can send me an email, and that's at podcast.veterinarysecrets.com. And as I said, once again, thanks for listening. If you've yet to subscribe, I encourage you to do so. And I'll be talking to you again next week. This is Dr. Andrew Jones.